invite you to open it to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, we'll be looking at verse 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we've titled The Message, The Talking Dead. I think you will see why in a moment. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, to which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. How can sinners be made right before the holy God? This has been the question ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Because of sin, God appointed physical and spiritual death as a penalty. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 makes this clear when it says, And just as it is appointed for man once to die or to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Every single one of us has an appointment with death. No one will miss their appointment. And for this reason, we must answer how it is that we can be made right before God who is holy. And man has come up with all kinds of ways in which we think will make us right or will at least get us into heaven. The book of Proverbs tells us there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Every major religion has a way that seems right to it. Sadly, they all say the same thing, and that is self-righteousness and good works will get you into heaven in one way, shape, or form. Every religion except Christianity says if a person does their best, God will overlook their faults and accept them based on their good works and let them into heaven. This is the way that seems right to man. It seems good to say that I can somehow work my way into heaven or somehow prove that my righteousness is greater than someone else's, the Bible says, woe to them. For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion in Jude chapter 11. The Bible says that no one will be justified by the word of the law in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. The Bible says that salvation by human works or goodness is impossible in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Hebrews chapter 11 takes us back to Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain who went into agriculture, Abel who took up shepherding. Both of them were religious men, and when it came to worship, they both brought an offering appropriate to each of their professions. Abel brought an offering from his flock and Cain from his fields. However, God favored Abel's sacrifice, and he rejected Cain's sacrifice. This caused Cain to become angry, and God warned Cain that if you do well, uh, will you not 
uh, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God told Cain, and Cain took his rage and refused to rule over it, and he murdered his brother Abel. His blood cried out to God from the ground. And the saga ends in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. St. Augustine said in his city of God, Cain was the firstborn, and he belonged to the city of men. After him was born Abel, who belonged to the city of God. What Augustine noted was that there were two radically different approaches to religion and to God. The way of Cain was one of unbelief and self-righteousness. It was a man-made religion. The way of Abel was the way of faith, which is described in our verses today. Remember, the author of Hebrews is concerned that some of the readers will abandon Jesus and go back to the Jewish faith. They would go to a man-made religion. If one correctly understands the Jewish faith, they would know that it points to and is fulfilled by Jesus Christ, which is what the author argues in the book of Hebrews and the first 10 chapters of the book. But to abandon Christ after he has come and go back to the old way of doing things things is to go back to a man-made works-based religion and abandon God's way of salvation. The account of Cain and Abel is a clear contrast between man's way of salvation and God's way, which is by faith alone. So let's learn some vital lessons from the talking dead. Abel, the one who is dead, who still speaks. First, faith is approved through obedience to God's revelation. Faith is approved through obedience to God's revelation. The first verse um, speaks of that, or the, this verse speaks of that. It says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Abel is the first man we read about who, by faith, offered a sacrifice to God. There was no precedent to follow. There apparently seems like there was no example necessarily for him to follow, either no one was uh, uh, there to encourage him how to properly offer his sacrifice. He was not following the popular custom. He was not guided by common sense. There was no reason nor inclination which would have caused Abel to present his animal sacrifice to God for acceptance. How are we to explain that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain? Well, the scripture tells us why? Especially this verse, because it says by faith. He acted by faith. It was not by feeling, but by faith. Faith in what? What did he have faith in? If faith is approved through obedience, then there must be something to obey. This is where Romans chapter 10, verse 17 comes into play. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we must understand that God had evidently given some explicit instructions to Cain and Abel indicating that only animal sacrifices were acceptable. We also know that God killed the first animal to cover Adam and Eve, which is a display that sin brings death and that sin can only be covered by the blood of an animal. One can only come to God through the basis of a blood sacrifice. Faith must have some sort of foundation and that foundation 
for faith is the word of God. We must understand that there are two kinds of hearing. When it says faith comes by hearing, there are two kinds of hearing. There's an outward hearing like this. It says, says this, you probably heard these words, yes, I hear you. That's an outward hearing. So when you say to someone, maybe they didn't hear you, and so you get louder, right? You progressively get louder until, you know, the third or fourth time, and then by the end you're screaming at them, I said, right? And then they say, oh, I heard you. That's an outward hearing, an outward hearing. But there's an inward hearing. An inward hearing informs us. An inward hearing influences us. Outward hearing gives instruction. Inward hearing molds our hearts and, and our will. There is also two meanings to the word of God. One is his written word, and the other is when God speaks to the soul. And there are two meanings to faith as well. One is an intellectual assent to what God has revealed. So I have this intellectual assent. God has revealed this to me. The other is a principle of action that is played out through obedience. And so Cain had an outward hearing. He heard the word of God, which gave him an intellectual assent to what he was supposed to do, but it did not give him obedience. Abel had an inward hearing of the word of God that shaped his heart and moved his will, causing him to be obedient to God's revelation. And so Abel, by faith, obeyed God's command, and Cain disobeyed, dispelling God. And when God told Cain to do well, he meant to bring the sacrifice that you know I have commanded you to bring. Now some people might say, well, well, how did they know what offering to bring? How would they know? Do they just have some feeling? And, and we, we, we talked about this briefly, but I actually think that it is, that's a valid question, especially when we have such difficulty in understanding what faith is. And remember last week we said that faith is not blind faith. We know that God clearly communicated to Adam and Eve that they, uh, uh, as parents, would have communicated then to Cain and Abel. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see what is communicated. Let me read that for you, Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall Return, And then we read verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Four things spoken here to Adam and Eve through the actions of God. One, man is sinful and God is holy. And the only way for man to approach God is to have some sort of covering. Two, any attempt to approach God through human means is worthless. Three, God provides the covering. Four, the covering can only come through the death by the shedding of blood. All those revealed and what he spoke to Adam and Eve. Now let me read to you Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God is making it abundantly clear in these verses in Genesis that life comes out of death. All have sinned in Adam. The wages of sin is death. Either I must pay for those wages and suffer death, or an innocent one who death has no claim over can pay the wages in my place. For me to receive the benefit of the substitute, there must be some sort of link between the substitute and myself. And that link is faith. Saving faith is the placing of a substitute between my guilty self and a sin-hating God. And so Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's because Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. It was faithful obedience to God's revelation which said a blood sacrifice must cover sin. That's the only way that you can approach me. And in faith, Abel responded that way. Cain decided, hey, I don't need to bring a blood sacrifice. I will come with my own prideful, self-righteous sacrifice because that was the way of Cain and God rejected his offering because it was not offered in faith. It did not take God's word to the bank and say, okay, God, I trust what you say. I trust in your word and I have faith to believe what God has decreed. Therefore, I will be obedient. Faith is the means by which we live in response to the command of God, and that is obedience. That's what faith is. And so you say, okay, here is God's command, approved through obedience to God's revelation. So you say, well, I'm going to live this out because this is what God says. I have faith in what he has said, and that's exactly what Abel did, but not what Cain did. Number two. God's prescription for approaching him is faith in his preordained sacrifice. God's prescription for approaching him is faith in his preordained sacrifice. We can't think for one moment that the reason that Abel's sacrifice was accepted was because he was inherently better than his brother Cain. The reason Abel brought the firstborn of his flocks, as Genesis chapter 4 verse 4 tells us, was because he knew that he was a sinner that deserved God's judgment, and he also knew that God in his grace would accept the death substitute. The language in Genesis is interesting as it says that Abel brought his sacrifice, which is in stark contrast to what his parents did when they sinned. Because when they sinned, they hid from the presence of God. They knew their guilt and it caused them to hide. And Abel knew his guilt and it caused him to seek the Lord. A guilty conscience does not lead to Christ, but a repentant conscience does. Cain, in his pride, ignored God's requirement. Brings an offering that he devised. You see, Abel knew that God was righteous and that we were sinners. And a sinner could not approach God. He knew that he was guilty and deserving of death. He knew that God was holy and therefore must punish sin. He knew that God was merciful 
and would accept the death of an innocent substitute in his place. He knew that he looked for acceptance with God through Christ, the Lamb of God. And by faith, he placed the blood of his firstborn of the flock between his sins and the justice of God. Cain, on the other hand, was so filled with pride, he didn't see a need to shed blood to approach God. He felt his way was just as good. Cain was kind of like Frank Sinatra. He did it his way. He found out that his way doesn't work. See, when we approach God, it has to be God's way. It's through faith in this preordained sacrifice. We do not get to approach God however we want. We don't get to say, well, I'll just, I'll just come to God however I want to. In this case, Abel worshipped God the way God prescribed. And Cain worshipped God the way Cain prescribed. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. Then just a few verses later he writes this, For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seeks wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is the point? Faith begins when we bow to the divine judge, knowing we are a sinner against a holy law, or against God's holy law. And therefore, we are under the curse of sin, and we are serving a death sentence. We have no excuse. We have no merit. There's no amount of works that can save us. Our best performance is filthy rags in the sight of a holy God because he knows our every thought. He knows every concern that we have. And when we come to God and concerned with self-promotion and self-sufficiency and self-grandeur, we don't seek his glory. He knows it. All we can do is plead guilty. But the gospel of his grace is applied to our conscience by the power of his spirit and our hope is revived because he makes it clear that the Lamb of God died so that we can bow all who confess they are lost, who hate their sin, and come to the comprehension that Jesus Christ is the only way that we can approach God. They will live. You see, faith stretches forth a trembling hand and says, I deserve death. But it lays hold of the Redeemer and receives the pardon from God and receives acceptance from God. The person that thinks that they are good has no need for a Savior to die for them. The idea that Jesus would shed His blood for them is absolutely offensive. But those who God convicts of their sin, whose eyes are open to the holiness of God, they recognize their need for a sacrifice and they gladly bow at the foot of the cross, recognizing that Jesus is the Lamb of God. We can't go the way of Cain. We can't say, oh, I got this under control. I, I'll do my own thing and surely God will let, us in, let me in. We must go the way of Abel that says, I am a wretch, I'm a sinner, and by faith I come to God. So faith is a proof through obedience to God's revelation. God's prescription for approaching Him is faith in His preordained sacrifice. Number three, 
faith is produced or faith produces authentic righteousness. Text says by faith Abel was commended as righteous. Some people try to say that it was the sacrifice that was commended as righteous, and it does not really matter because the sacrifice was offered in faith. So no matter how you look at it, it was his faith that was commended as righteous. We really do not know how God commended his sacrifice by accepting his gifts. That's what it says. We don't know how that happened. Jewish tradition and then Christian tradition says that fire came down from heaven and consumed Abel's offering, but not Cain's. We do know that Scripture records fire descending on acceptable offerings at least five other times. Great men of faith believe that fire did indeed descend on Abel's offering, but we can't really say for certainty how it is that God showed that he accepted Abel's sacrifice and didn't accept Cain's. I like to think it was by fire too, because I just, that's cool to me. But anyway, um, we also know that Jesus referred to Abel as righteous Abel in Matthew 22:35. Abel had an authentic faith, which brought authentic righteousness. First John chapter 3, verse 12 tells us that Abel lived a righteous life and Cain lives a life marked by evil deeds. However, let it be clear that God is not put into debt by any man nor does he accept Abel's sacrifice based upon Abel's righteousness. He doesn't look and say, oh, look, Abel's living a righteous life, therefore I accept his sacrifice. In the same way, he did not reject Cain's sacrifice based upon his evil life. Our text is clear that Abel offered his sacrifice based on faith, not based on his righteous life. Let's be clear. God makes one righteous based on their faith, not their works. Even Abraham believed the Lord and was counted to him as righteousness in Genesis chapter 15. Paul would later cite that text in Romans chapter 4 to prove that Abraham was not made right by his works. This is what Paul says. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. The point God acquits any guilty sinner based on the death of Christ, not based on their works, because only the death of His perfect Son can satisfy the penalty that we deserve. So God takes the penalty of our sin and puts it on Christ. And the righteousness of Christ puts it on us the very moment we believe in Christ. This is why Paul declared in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Christ who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. Our justification is by faith alone, which was the cry of the Reformers when they cried out, sola fide, faith alone. But I don't want us to stop there. Because this is uh, often where we stop as Christians. We talk about people coming to Christ We talk about people expressing their faith when they come to Christ. And then they they do that. And they're justified by faith alone. And we stop as if our faith stops. Listen, once a sinner comes to Christ, trusting in Him as a sacrifice for their sin, they will progressively become more righteous in their behavior as a result. 
The life of faith begins when we trust in Christ, but it continues as we become more and more like Christ. We don't, uh, we don't reverse the order and say that if we do enough good works, then God declares us righteous. No, it is because of our faith that we are declared righteous and because of our faith that we live a life of authentic righteousness. Just like Abel, his sacrifice was offered by faith. In other words, he had faith before he offered the sacrifice. To say that we are declared righteous based on works is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says. He talks about it. He says, I'm astonished in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The gospel nowhere says that you have to work your way to heaven or that somehow God accepts you based upon your righteousness. Because you're not righteous. The minute we say that we can work our way or do enough good works that's going to get us into heaven, we are preaching a different gospel. And Paul evidently has some pretty strong language to say about that. When there is an authentic faith, that faith will produce an authentic righteousness that is displayed in practical living. We don't get declared righteous by God based upon our living, but based on faith alone. Faith and righteousness works together. There can be no real faith without evidence of there being faith. And that displays itself in righteous works. And there can be no real righteousness or no real righteous works without faith. And authentic faith will produce authentic righteousness, which leads to the next point. Faith will bring about opposition. Faith will bring about opposition. As we think about the account of Cain and Abel, I believe it's important for us to remember who Cain was. Cain was a religious man who actually believed in God. You see, I think a lot of times um, in the church today, we have this confusion. We act like uh, the majority of tax on or the majority of opposition is always outside people, outside force. You, you got to watch them atheists and, and not that they don't ever make a tax, not that they're not ever opposed to, to religion or, or, or that sort of thing. But we, we act like that's, that's the majority of where opposition comes from. Remember, Cain was religious. He believed in God. He brought a sacrifice to worship God. If he didn't believe, why would he bring a sacrifice? Granted, it was his own way instead of God's way. Nevertheless, he was a religious person. He was not an atheist. He was not an agnostic. None of them would have brought a sacrifice at all. In fact, they could care less about their brother's sacrifice because it would seem silly to them in the first place that their brother brought a sacrifice. And so they wouldn't care about it. Why was Cain offended? 
Because in his self-righteousness, he felt that his sacrifice was good enough for God. Regardless of the, uh, of the fact that God had commanded something different, and when God rejected the sacrifice of Cain, then he gets angry and he gets depressed and he refuses to listen to God and he closes his ears to the rebuke that God delivers to him and he allows his anger to boil against his brother. He is so angry that God would accept his brother's sacrifice and not his sacrifice. That Cain... Or that Abel, he he was obedient and he's showing me up. Abel's faith brought opposition from his own brother who was also a religious person. We have in the account of Cain and Abel the father of all false religions. You see, every false religion is about what you must do to get to God and they all deny the cross of Christ. The reason the cross is so Offensive is because it confronts our self-righteousness and tells us that we're not good enough to get to heaven. When people are in a false religion, they're prideful in their own goodness and and their own works and they reject any notion that they are a sinner in need of a Savior whose blood was shed for sin. Or if they do accept the cross, they still want to add their good works to it so so they can partially, at least somewhat, earn their salvation. And so they said, well, yeah, we believe in Jesus and we believe in the cross, but I got to do some good stuff in order to get to heaven. Or at least I got to do some good stuff in order to keep my salvation, which is still works based. And when we try to add human works to the total sufficiency of the death of Christ on the cross, it gives sinners a reason to boast. Well, look at all this stuff I've done. Look at all these good works I've accumulated. Look at my own righteousness. Look how holy I am. Check me out. Don't forget who it was that crucified Jesus because they couldn't stand what he was doing to their religious system. Pharisees had to stop him. Their system was self-righteous. It was the same for the Judaizers who attacked Paul because he had the audacity to preach Christ to the pagan Gentiles telling them that they could be justified by faith alone. How dare him! cross of Christ wipes away our efforts and our boasting in any good works. Those people who take pride in their flesh and stand in opposition to those who are only looking at the cross of Christ are lost. Galatians chapter 4 verse 25 But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. It is those who want to make good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Church, Abel died by the murderous hand of a religious hypocrite who hated him. That's what brought opposition. Christ died at the murderous hand of a religious world. Faith will bring 
opposition. When God approves you, you better expect that man will disapprove. And more specifically, and, and oftentimes, those who disapprove are those who are professing to be Christians. We would do well to learn that it's far better to gain God's approval through faith in His Son and lose our life than to gain man's approval and be rejected by God, losing our soul forever. By faith. We gain the testimony that we are righteous and it will bring opposition. When we step out in faith, trust me, opposition is coming. Lastly, faith results in a witness that counts for eternity. Funny thing about faith it's not a guarantee of a life that will be free of problems, suffering, pain, or even death. In fact, our faith brings different circumstances into our life. All who are dependent on God's, uh, for everyone who is dependent on God's sovereign purpose, Abel, who lived a life of faith, is the first murder victim of the Bible. Please tell me what are the earthly benefits of his faith in that, that he's murdered. Sounds great, doesn't it? You see, if we, are, if we are following Jesus thinking that He's going to give us some great benefits in this life, then we're in for a very rude awakening. Abel is not some shining example of a long and happy life. Abel did not have his best life now. Yet the very next man mentioned in the text, who is a pillar of faith, is one of only two men in all of history who never died because Enoch was taken directly to heaven. And then after that, we have Noah who lived to be 950 years old. That's old. And was delivered from the flood. When it comes to faith, most of us would probably be like, we want the life of Enoch or, or Noah, not Abel. Nobody signs up for the Abel plan. I'm thinking anybody's like, oh yeah, I'll sign up for that one. Just, I want to sign up for the I get murdered plan. But God is sovereign. And faith results in a witness that counts for eternity. The author of Hebrews is making it very clear that when it comes to faith, the rewards are not necessarily found in this life. The author lists those who died in faith without receiving the promises. He gives a long list of those who won impressive victories by faith. So he has these spectacular lists of faith here in chapter 11. Now, glance with me down to verse 35 of chapter 11. Because we want to see that faith results in witness that counts for eternity. And that faith isn't just about, hey, what we get here on this earth. Look at verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. So that they might rise again to a better life. However, we must keep reading, mocking, flogging, putting in chains, stoned, sawn in two, killed with a sword. They went about destitute, afflicted, mistreated, homeless because of their faith. He does not even miss a beat. If we're banking on a good life here and now based on our faith, 
we are very possibly mistaken. But here's the thing. When we have God's perspective, when we think with kingdom eyes, then our faith results in a witness. Look at what the author says. Though Abel is dead, he still speaks, which is why we have the title of the message, which is what it's based upon. He's dead, but he still speaks. He's dead, but he has something to say. He is the talking dead. But how does Abel still speak? Let me read Genesis 4.10. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel still speaks that God will vindicate those who are his and judge the wicked. He said, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me. God did not let the cry go unheeded. God will vindicate those who are his. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? Fast forward to Revelation chapter 6 verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had the slain of the word of God and for the witnesses they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they himself had been. Listen, Christian, you may be mistreated in this world. Things may seem like they are out of control. We can see, look around and we can see Christians tortured. We can see Christians even beheaded in the world today. But God is still in control. Abel's blood still cries out that God is the righteous judge of the universe who will right one day every single wrong and He will bring justice on behalf of those who are His children. That's what Abel's blood cries out. That's how it still speaks. Secondly, Abel still speaks to us by his life of faith. Don't you think it's interesting that we have no recorded words of Abel in all of the Bible? None. We can't go to Scripture and say, oh, well, look, this is what Abel said. It's not there. And yet thousands of years after his death, he still speaks. This reveals to us a power of a life of faith that is a witness and accounts for eternity. Don't discount the power of a life lived by faith. And that's not to say that we should ignore speech, but it is to say that a life lived by faith can have a profound impact even on successive generations. If we live our life by the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, especially in the home, your words will connect with great power. However, if your life does not display the fruit of the Spirit, oftentimes our words will be in vain. So live a life of faith and be a witness to those around us. Abel still speaks today that we should live a life of faith if we want our impact, our witness to be far-reaching. Finally, he still speaks that a person's impact can count beyond their life. 
one looked at Abel's lifetime, many would say it was a wasted life. Today, people would say, Abel died too young. He had no chance to accomplish anything. Don't we hear that a lot of times when somebody dies young? Well, they died too young. However, generation after generation has looked at his faith and found that even if we suffer and die for the call of Christ, our death is not in vain. It would seem that Cain lived a long and prosperous life. He built cities. He fathered children. By the standards of the world, Cain was a success. But by the standards of God, his life was wasted. And Abel was a success. Abel is the talking dead because of his faith. His faith is alive. yours Abel still speaks by his faith our faith is approved through our obedience the only way we can approach God is through faith in his son Jesus Christ faith produces authentic righteousness it will bring about opposition but don't worry because the results will be a witness that counts for eternity What I'm saying is that faith can't be silenced. It can't be. Cain tried to silence the testimony of his brother, Abel, by murdering him. And yet he still speaks. Faith in God can never be silenced because God keeps alive the testimony of his faithful servants. Think about it, church. Abel was the first man to die. The first sinner ever to appear in heaven was Abel. What a sight that must have been as he walked in clothed and cleansed in the righteousness of Christ. Can you imagine the sight? He's the first man ever. All of heaven looking on as Abel walks into eternity. G. Campbell Morgan puts it like this. I love how he puts it. It was a great occasion when this first soul representing a fallen race appeared in the unsullied light of the home of the unfallen. He came by faith. Ransomed by love at the cost of sacrifice. As the scriptures declared that the angels desire to look into those things, this must indeed have been a mystery of life and love demanding their close attention and not perchance even fathomed by them until the explanation was wrought out upon the cross of Calvary. Saying that they're, they're sitting there. How is this Abel coming into heaven? And they understand when Jesus dies on the cross of Calvary. It was by faith. For the time of Christ, Abel, though he was dead, through his faith, spoke of a sacrifice that was yet to come that would take away our sin. And a faith that declares that a sinner can be made righteous. Now that Christ has come. Abel still speaks of it. And I challenge you this morning to live a life of faith because faith can't be silenced. In January 1956, Nate Saint and four other young missionaries, including Jim Elliott, had been brutally murdered by the Aka Indians in the jungle of Ecuador. They spent a great deal of time leading up to the point of them landing their plane to reach this tribe with the 
gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet all of them died in their 20s and 30s. Elizabeth Elliot wrote that the prayers of the widows of these missionaries were for the Aka Indians. They would pray, we look forward to the day when these savages will join us in Christian praise. That's what the widows whose husbands were murdered, we look forward to the day when these savages will join us in Christian praise. And join them, they did. As the Aka tribe was reached for Jesus. Nate Saint's son, Steve, is even close friends with one of his father's murderers. By faith, those four missionaries obtained God's testimony. That they are righteous, and by faith, their lives still speak today. You see, their testimony goes beyond them, and it counts for eternity. By faith, you can join their company. And I'd ask you this morning, have you placed your faith in Christ alone? Have you? Place your faith in Christ alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. Sola gratia, by God's grace alone. You done that this morning? Or is it faith and I can do a little bit? Is it faith in Christ alone? You say, well, yeah, I've done that. And I'd ask you this. Are you living a life of faith that will count for eternity? Or have you done all you can to silence your own faith? Are you living a life of faith that will count for eternity, that will go beyond you? When you die, your faith will still speak. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. I'll be standing down front. Maybe you feel the need to respond this morning to this message. I want to give you that opportunity to do so. You don't have to come down front. You can respond in your pew. Maybe you need to pray this morning. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I, my faith needs to be alive. I need to have a faith that counts for eternity in your life. And, and maybe somehow this message spoke to you. I don't know how that could, you know, how that happens, how he speaks directly to you. but However that is, I want to give you the chance to respond this morning. And if this morning you'd say, I need to place my faith in Christ alone, I'll be standing down front. I'd love to have a conversation with you, talk with you, meet with you afterwards if, if that's something that you need to do this morning. Let's close with prayer.